Thanks. So, you know, great, great for them. You know, but what really makes a great family? And this morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the health of our families from the inside out and what really makes a great family. And one of the great things, I, or one of the things that I want us to understand, you know, as much as we all have those images of what we think a great family is, like for me, it was the home improvement family, right? I think, okay, yeah, that's good, you know. Three kids, I have three kids. See, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I just don't have a garage and I don't fix cars, but whatever, it's okay. I break stuff as much as he breaks stuff, so I guess we got that together. Anyway, <laughs> um, but one of the things that we need to know, even though we have these images of what families are and, and what we think they should be, there's something in our life, and this applies to our families especially. When we compare, we get nowhere, right? Turn, in, turn to your neighbor and say that. When you compare, you get nowhere. And I think that really applies to our families. Because all of us in our families, right, you know, we have family gatherings, and this is the time of the year. And I was just telling my wife this the other day, I, or I was talking to somebody, I think it was Paul Dawson last night, we were together, and, and uh, our worship leader here, Paul, he's awesome. And I was telling him, I was like, yep, this is the time of year when I just know every week I've got to go into the week knowing I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And he's like, why is that? I was like, because there's a family gathering like every single week and I have to prep myself and go, Whew, I'm supposed to be nice to these people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm a pastor. Come on, got to bring it together. You can't, can't yell at Uncle Jojo anymore. You know, it's like, and so I just know it's, it's, it's not, you know, we, we all have the, the families that we, we want and then we have the families we have. Right? And for some of you, you may have the family you've always wanted. And for some of us, maybe our families aren't exactly where we've wanted them. But the thing that we need to remember is when we compare, we get nowhere. We can't compare ourselves to each other and, and say the greatest thing that we can do is to take our families, to take our lives and shine it under the light of Jesus. And the real truth of what we need to do and the health of our families will come to light. Comparing with other families, trying to keep up with the Joneses and do all of that and, and live the American dream and do just the right things and have the, the perfect house on the cul-de-sac with the perfectly manicured lawn. First of all, my lawn is not perfectly manicured. I just want to say that. I finally mowed it. I actually paid somebody else to mow it yesterday because I was like, I ain't mowing this thing. It's like, you know, it's eight feet tall. You had to leave the deck all the way up. I got the lawnmower stuck a couple times in the process. It's like, my lawn is not perfectly manicured. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Somebody came over to my house this summer and uh, they said, hey, you know, those aren't flowers. Those are nettles, right? And I said, yeah, well, you know, they'll flower eventually if you leave them long. <laughs> but when we compare, we get nowhere. It's not about having the perfect realms. It's not about having the perfect house or the perfect amount of kids or, or cooking the right meals or having the right recipes or decorating your house just right. The true health of a family has three essential elements to it, and we're going to go through those this morning. But the first thing that we have to understand is that the family comes from God, and God wants us to be a part of a family and to have a healthy family. And this morning, we're going to read in Psalms 127, 3 through 5, before we get into the, the principles of our health of our family this morning. And Psalms 127, 3 through 5 says this, and this is the English Standard Version I want to read to you first, and I have another version I want to read to us. And it says this, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The message version says it like this. It says, don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are children of vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. 
God values family. He values you as parents. He values you as children. He values you as young adults who are maybe aren't, don't have a family and aren't married yet. God values us and he values our family units. And as much as at Christmas time, maybe you don't value your family unit, <laughs> you have to prep yourself like I do, God values our families this morning. And there are three essential things to having a healthy family. And this morning, we want to have healthy families. We as a church, Faith Christian Church, we want you to have a healthy family. Because families are a benchmark in our society. And so many people, you know, this, this Tuesday, the election's coming up, and I wanna encourage you from a, from a standpoint of a church, I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for, just vote. Get out there and vote and be a part of it and, and support our country because there are a lot of young men and women who gave their life to ensure the fact that you can vote. So that's why we encourage you to vote. We don't encourage you as a church, as a political stance. I encourage you to vote because we know that people gave their life, that we can have that right. And we thank God for that right. And so we ask that you would express it. But however, you know, we have this, this coming up with the election and, and, and all of these things and all of these elements, but the health of our family. So many people think, well, if we could just get just the right president, then our world would be better. You know, it's like, and we've had a lot of different presidents. Some are great, some are not so good, you know? And we've had a lot of different leaders and think, oh, if we could just get just the right amount of Republicans or just the right amount of Democrats in the House and the Senate, then, then things will be fixed. And what we're doing is we're trying to fix the problem from the outside in. But if we could get the family to be healthy again, we would see our society changed. We would see America changed. The world would be changed. It starts at home. It starts from the inside out. Family first. And we're gonna, we're gonna study that out this morning. And the first essential to having a healthy family, this is really deep. Write this down. You're gonna need this for the rest of your life. It's this. Love Jesus. Amen. Take that home. Take that to the bank. Cash that in. It's worth millions of dollars. <laughs> the first essential thing to having a healthy family is to have the love of Jesus in your home. To have it in your own heart, whether you're the husband, wife, son, daughter, in-law, doesn't matter. To have it in your own heart, you've got to have it. You can't give something you don't have. The love of Jesus has to be in you, but then that love of Jesus must be shared amongst the family and taught and handed down from generation to generation to generation. And the reason this morning, you know, I read that verse about uh, Proverbs, where, and I love what it says is that children are like the arrows in the hand of a warrior. You can have the greatest warrior on the face of the earth, but if he ain't got no ammo, he's pretty useless, <laughs> you know, right? You can be the greatest bow shot and try to take out your enemies, but once you're out of arrows, unless you're really good with a spitwad gun, I think you're out of luck, <laughs> you know? We're only as good as the ammunition we have. And I love the image of an arrow and a bow because that's how I think about my family and my kids. I want to launch my kids out into the world to do things I could never do. I don't, want to be their, I don't want to be their ceiling. I want to be their floor. I want them to do the things I could never do. And I want them to love Jesus in ways maybe I could never love him and tell others about him. But I want to have the love of Jesus in my home. And for us as, as individuals, for us as Christ followers, for us as families, the love of Jesus in our homes is essential. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 in the message version says this. It says, watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. 
He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That's what the message says, love like that. God's love was not cautious. When we say that the love of Jesus needs to be in our home, not only do we have to have love for Jesus, we have to love other people like Jesus because there's gonna be a lot of times and family will be the first ones to push your love of Jesus and the love for them, to love them like Jesus out of anyone in your life because it's the people who are closest to you who you hurt the worst, right? It's, I mean, and I get it. So I have, I've got... Uh, Growing up, you know, I had, I had three other siblings. I'm the youngest of four. I am the tallest and the best looking, just so we get that out of the way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, many of you have had the opportunity to meet my, my, uh, one of my brothers. Uh, my brother, Sam, he's come and preached here a few times. He's just a year older than me. I have a sister who's a year older than that, and then I have another brother who's six years older than my sister, nine years older than I am. And so, you know, we had, we had a little bit bigger family, and I'll tell you what, when it comes to family, you know, there, there are times as a pastor where I have to have hard conversations with people. I don't enjoy that. It's not easy for me. If I had to have a hard conversation about something foolish my brother was doing, I wouldn't have a problem with that conversation. I'd be like, dude, get over here. You're an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's because he's my brother and I'm comfortable with him. And oftentimes it's those in our life that we're comfortable with who we, who we have to work the hardest at remembering that we should love them like Jesus loved them. Just because I'm comfortable with my brother doesn't necessarily mean I should be calling him a fool and ignorant and things like that. I should try to love him like I would love anyone else. So not only do we have to have the love of Jesus in our lives, it's in fact that, that we love Jesus and that we have him in our heart and we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, but we have to learn what it means to love those in our family like Jesus loved us. And as that verse says in Ephesians, his love was not cautious. His love didn't have limitations. His love didn't say, if you aren't home by midnight, I'm not going to love you anymore, you know, right? His love was extravagant for us. And our love for our kids, for our spouse, for our sons and daughters and daughters-in-laws, and as our families grows and expand, and some of you are, are in new, you know, young families. We have a lot of young families here at church, and we have a lot of families that are just starting out, a lot of families that are even further along, and maybe we've got kids that have gotten married, and, and maybe, you know, they've married some people that you're not the greatest fan of, but hey, they're part of your family, so you're gonna have to learn to love them like Jesus did, and that love is extravagant and not cautious. And it's a challenge, because they're our family. Because when we get together for Christmas and we just want to sit down and drink a cup of coffee, they bring all of their hooligans over and you think, oh my gosh, I just want my coffee. <laughs> and you have to love those hooligans because now they're part of your family. But the love of Jesus has to be in the center of everything that you do. He didn't love in order to get something. We don't love our family so that we can then have the American family. So we can show them off and say, yep, I love my family so much and they love me. They're scared of God of me, but they love me. <laughs> we don't do it to get something. We do it to give them everything. To give them everything. To be their floor so that they can do more than we ever could. Love is essential to family and natural to the human race as we are created in God's image and God is love. We all desire to be loved. We desire to be loved by our spouse, to be loved by our children, right? Every parent loves it when the teenager comes home and says, Mom, I hate you. It's like, mm, just wait. You hate me now. <laughs> we all have those moments and we, we don't care for that. We want to be loved because we're created in the image of God and God is love. It's one of his traits. It's one of his characters. And so that character is in us. We are created in his image, just as he was, so are we. 
And love is essential to a family. It's pretty hard to have a family and not have love, right? It's like, man, my family's great. We're such good friends. We don't really like each other, but we're really good friends, <laughs> you know, right? It doesn't work. It has to be love at the center of our families. Oftentimes, when it comes to our world and this life, our love in our families, our love for each other gets twisted through sin. It gets twisted through this world that we live in, and we think, well, the only way you love somebody is if you, if you buy them this or if you do that for them. And love isn't about, it isn't just about, you know, giving people things or having certain acts or doing the right things. It's all of those things combined. It's not meant to be weighted one or the other, to be heavy on one side or the other. And what happens is in, in our world, we start to twist it. And especially for young people, I want to tell you today, as, as you're looking maybe to be married or to have a spouse, a, a significant other, don't let the world twist your view of what love is. Because love will tell you it's physical, but God says it's so much more. And we let the world twist our vision of love. And we have to understand what love really is. And we have the greatest example in that. And the Bible tells us in that Jesus and that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us while we were still sinners. When we did not deserve God's kindness, compassion, and mercy, he gave it to us. That is extravagant love. You're going to have moments, parents, when your teenager does not deserve what you're going to give them. But you give it to them because you love them anyways. Because you want them to know when they come home, no matter what they've done, no matter the struggle maybe they face in their life, that they can tell you that home is a safe place. That there's love, the love of Jesus, without end, without caution, without reserve, is the love that is in your home. That's the first thing. Family essential number one is the love of Jesus. And like I said before, you can't pass on something you don't have. And so we have to have the love of Jesus in our hearts and we have to have Jesus in our lives to understand what it really means to love Somebody like Jesus loved us. And you know, one of the greatest things we can do as parents, if you have that love, if you've got Jesus in your heart and you're loving your children like that, the greatest thing you can do is to teach your children how to love Jesus themselves and to how to love other people like Jesus loves them. You know, my, daughter, my, my kids are, are getting into school now, and we got two of the three are in school. I have three beautiful children, and I'm very blessed and thankful for them. But my, my second oldest uh, child, Grace, she's, uh, she's in kindergarten this year, and, and she comes home, and, and uh, she tells us about this, this boy that's in her class. And he gets so angry and so violent, sometimes they, they have to bring teachers in to remove him out of the class. And, you know, I, as, as scary maybe as that can be as a parent, I love those opportunities because it's an opportunity for me to teach my daughter to love people like Jesus did. I said, Grace, you're not, we're not going to make fun of him. We're not going to be mean to him. We're going to pray for him. I said, are you, are you kind to him? Do you say hi to him? You know, we, and we talk about the fact that maybe he's got a family at home that's not quite like our family. And he just wants, he just needs somebody to be nice to him. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to do all of these extravagant things, but I said, Grace, you don't understand how powerful a hello can be. Did you know that they've done a study of people who have committed suicide, and like 60% of them said if one person that day would have said hi to them, they would have not done it. And this is from people, obviously, you know, you can't ask somebody who successfully committed suicide. This is from people who have tried, and it didn't completely work. And later on, they surveyed them and asked them, why did you do it? And they say, you know, if one person would have just said hi to me, I wouldn't have done it. You don't understand how powerful a hello can be. 
And it doesn't have to be anything more than that. It's the love we talk about with Jesus. It's not to get something. It's to give extravagantly, without caution. And to teach our kids to love other people like Jesus loved us is the greatest thing we can do. It's one of the greatest things we can hand off to our children. And to tell them, and to, because if we want to change our world, we do it through our kids. We do it through the next generation. Yes, we're responsible for ourselves and there are things we can do. But when God, we have the sign in our kids' room, when God wanted something done in the world, he sent a baby to do it. Moses came in a basket floating on the river. 40 years later, led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, and set them free. Jesus didn't come as a grown man with long, beautiful hair and a thick beard. He came as a baby, born in a manger. And Isaiah 53 says he had no form that they should look upon him. He wasn't extravagant in any way, but he was a baby. John the Baptist came as a baby into this world, and God used that, used their family to teach them, to love them, to love others the way that Jesus loves them. Your kids will learn from someone. Do all that you can to be their best teacher. Do you know that? Kids are going to learn from someone. They learn all the time. My son can floss, dance like you would not believe. You know, the Fortnite. That's all I got. I can't do it, right? <laughs> you know, he didn't learn that from me. I'm just throwing that out there. Kids learn, whether it's from you or not. You know, he's got the whole, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> all right. He's a thousand times better dancer than I ever. And they learn from someone. Do all that you can to be their biggest teacher. I want my kids to learn. And I want my kids to learn from lots of people but I really want them to learn from me. I want to have those conversations with them. I want to sit down. I want to tell Grace how to love people. I want to tell my kids, you know, I want to tell them funny stories and how to read the Bible and, and, and how to fix things, you know. Teach Isaiah how to milk a cow. It's a good skill, man. Learn how to milk a cow. Just don't get kicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want to teach our kids because they're going to learn from someone. Let's be their biggest teacher. The second essential to a healthy family Number two, again, life-changing, deep. This will get you. Write this down. Turn to your neighbor and say forgiveness. Forgiveness. Number one, love people like Jesus. Have the love of Jesus in your life personally and love others like that. And the second thing we can do to ensure the health of our families, to put our families first, is forgiveness. This is not easy. Forgiveness can be hard. Because oftentimes forgiveness comes at a time when we don't feel like forgiving. And Ephesians 4.32 in the Message Bible says this, says, be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God and Christ forgave you. And I want to remind us of the verse I said before, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't forgive people because they change their behavior and they're all better, right? You forgive them because that's what God asked us to do. And maybe their behavior doesn't change, right? Yeah. Maybe Uncle Joe still, still Uncle Joe. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah, don't talk to my kids like that. Love you, forgive you. If you do it again, I'm gonna hurt you. You know, that's all there is to it. Right? We, we all face this. I, you know, we, we think it, I think at times maybe we think that everybody's family, everybody else's family is perfect and that these family gatherings, it's like, oh man. You know, my, my, uh, some of my family, extended family and 
And really, this is probably a lot of us in our lives, our families have had divorces and things like that have happened and, and bitterness has caused disregard. And, and so then what you end up with, and I kind of joke about it sometimes with, with friends of ours, stuff like, man, I need a whiteboard to keep straight. Who's connected to who through who? And it's like, this is, I, I, I can't handle it. Well, you know where all this is going. But at the same time, I love it because it gives us the opportunity to forgive. It gives us the opportunity in a broken situation to make good things. You know, as a pastor, I've had the wonderful privilege over the years to marry lots of different people. And I love getting to do weddings of, of young people who've done it right. They've served God and, and, and they're together. And it's like, yes, you're, you're 18 and you're going to live on love, but you're going to starve to death. But it's okay. Your parents will bail you out later. And it's all right. You know, <laughs> but it's beautiful and God's got it. But then as a pastor, I have these opportunities to take families that have once been broken and mend them. And we sit in our, parent, in our marriage council, and I sit and I talk with them, and I challenge them. I said, listen, you have the greatest gift given in front of you. You have the opportunity to forgive. You have the opportunity to share love with people who've only experienced hurt, to be a family. And I said, you know, maybe you don't have them all the time, right? Because this is the world we live in. Sometimes we have to share custody with kids, and these things happen. I said, maybe you don't care for the way that they're living or the way that they're raising those kids. Here's the thing that you're going to do. You're going to outweigh the scale. You're going to love them more than they disregard them. You're going to share Jesus with them more than the world influences them. And you have the opportunity to be their safe place, to be their place of forgiveness, to have true health in our families, we have to have forgiveness, especially with kind of the way our world's gone and the brokenness in our homes. But even without that, maybe your you know, family unit has been a family unit its whole life and it's doing well. I promise you, you're going to have a moment where you're going to have to forgive somebody, right? Because you're, your son or daughter married somebody who doesn't speak the nicest to you, know, the nicest to you and you don't really care for the behavior that they have, you're going to have moments where you're going to have to forgive them even when they don't ask for it. Because I tell you what, we sure didn't ask for Jesus to come and die on the cross, and he did it anyways. And he'd do it all again if that was what was needed. Be gentle with one another and sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God and Christ forgave you. Because of sin in our life, and because we live in a fallen world, we will miss the mark of love. Not only are we going to have to forgive other people, we're going to have to ask for forgiveness. As a parent... I've had times, you know what? My kids, they make me angry. It's like, that wasn't very good. I didn't like what you did there, and now I'm upset with you, <laughs> you know, right? Although that's just not how it looks on my face. Some of you are probably that calm, but I struggle, <laughs> you know. But I've had moments, you know what, where I've gotten upset at my kids, and maybe I've yelled, and I shouldn't have yelled. I get down on my knees, and I get on their face, and I say, forgive me. I say, I'm not perfect. I'm your dad, and I'm not perfect, but I love you. Forgive me. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness from people, and we're going to have to forgive people because we're not perfect, because we live in a fallen world, because we all make mistakes, because we all screw up. And the greatest thing, one of the, you know, this is one of the three essentials. I want to teach my kids to forgive, you know? <laughs> Our daughter, Nora, I love Nora. She's only, uh, she's only four, or going to be four. And she's, she's one of the, uh, you know, it's really fun to watch your kids' personalities change as they get older and as they grow and how each one's individual. And so Nora is the kid when you ask Nora, she's in the other room, you go, Nora, what are you doing? nothing. <laughs> it's like, that don't sound like nothing. You, know, you go in there and she's got 400 feet of toilet paper strung out and makeup all over the mirror. It's like, you're doing something. Craft time in here. What are we doing? You know? 
But we teach our kids, and Nora, one of her favorite things to do is to go to Isaiah, our oldest, and whatever he's got, just take it. But, like, and she just takes it and stands there, looks at him, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's like, and, and Isaiah is very emotional, and, and, and you know, and he, and he says, Dad, Nora's dead. You know, and it's like, and Nora, you got to give it back. And then, then she just, okay, you know. One of the things we do in transactions like that is we tell our kids you have to forgive each other. So, you know, Nora has to ask for forgiveness and Isaiah has to give it, and vice versa. And it may seem simple and it may seem foolish and such a small principle at such a young age, but it will carry over, I promise you. Did you know that from age zero to seven is the time in kids' life where they will set the pattern of their character and integrity for the rest of their lives? By the age of seven, kids are pretty set in who they're going to be. I mean, obviously, they're going to have trends and things they like, but as far as the character, the things that are molded into their life and, the, and the, the way that their heart is shaped and the things that, you know, inside really the essentials of their emotions and who they are are formed by seven years old. And it's in those first years, it may seem so foolish to stand there with a three-year-old for 30 minutes while she refuses to say, I forgive you, until she says, I forgive you. But it matters. It matters. Because forgiveness matters. And parents, I would challenge us young adults, those of you who are, maybe you're moved out of your home, maybe you weren't the nicest to your parents growing up, ask them for forgiveness and learn to honor your parents. Learn to honor your family. You don't have to agree with them. Maybe your family doesn't love the Lord and you do. You don't have to, you don't have to go in there and pound them over the head with the Bible. The greatest thing you can do is love them like Jesus and forgive them for all that they've done to you and all that they continue to do. Because I promise you, as long as they live, they're going to continue to hurt you. If you live with someone long enough, they will upset you. It's just the truth of it, right? You know, I've never, I've never met anyone who went to college and go, man, my, my roommate was the best. You know, it's like, by the end of three years, they hate him. It's like, okay, well, forgive him. Let's move on. You live with someone long enough, you're going to have to forgive them, and you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. Because of sin in our world, we're all going to miss the mark of love, and we will all need forgiveness. It's not a matter of if, but when, because it will happen for all of us. Forgiving quickly and thoroughly like Jesus did is the medicine that restores the health to our sick families. One of the greatest things we can do, you want to see somebody's hard exterior be broken. You want to see someone who won't talk to you begin to talk to you. Forgive them. And I don't mean at home in your prayer closet, you're like, God, I forgive them for being such a fool. Would you just help them not be a fool anymore because they're just so foolish, God, Uh, you know. I mean, you go to them and you say, will you forgive me? You go to them and you say, I forgive you. I know that you're a not-so-nice person, but I forgive you. You might mean my brother. I'm, I forgive you, and I forgive God for making you my brother. Let's just agree. You know, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But you go to them, and you say you're sorry, and you ask for forgiveness. It's not something you do from a distance. It's legitimate forgiveness. But you want to see a wall be broken down. You want to see a family be mended. Forgive. And all of a sudden, those hard exteriors become soft again. Because when you forgive you remove a few things from your life. You remove pain. Because not forgiving someone for someone hurting you is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. It's just a bad idea. They don't care. hate to break it to you, but they probably don't care. They probably don't even know they hurt you or offended you or said the wrong thing to you. It removes pain. 
when we forgive, it removes hate. All of a sudden, we don't hate them so much anymore. I go, yeah, God, my heart is good again. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do is what Jesus said. We heal brokenness in our families when we forgive. And the last thing we do is we give over control to God. We surrender it to him, knowing, God, I'm going to do all I can to love them like you loved me. And I forgive them for what they do. And I'm going to put them in your hands. We hand it over. Something I really want us to understand is this, is you don't have to have your family's past determine your family's future. And the way that you do that is forgiveness. Maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe you come from a, a strand of struggles and pain and of addictions and, and all of those things in your family. Your family's past does not have to determine your family's future. And the way you do that is forgive. Forgive and give it to God and set a new course for your family. If you're young in here today and maybe you grew up in a home that was not so good and you're considering getting married or you're on that road or, or maybe you're just out of high school, I wanna challenge you that your family's past does not have to determine your family's future. You know, I sat down with my son, Isaiah. He, was, he had a struggle after a, a Wednesday night church service. You know, he was pretty upset because he didn't win the costume contest. Rightfully so. You know, he was dressed like Thor. I thought he looked pretty good, but whatever. You know. <laughs> he didn't win the costume contest. And it was really the first time as he's gotten older, I've seen him make a conclusion in his own mind about what had happened. And he had concluded, because he hadn't won this costume contest that all of us grown adults know means nothing to the world and the moon or back, to him he had determined the fact that he had lost all of his value, that he wasn't good at anything, and that he didn't deserve to win. And I sat down with him as his father and I had a conversation with him. And I just said, Isaiah, I said, why, why do you think, you know, why do you think that? And talked to him and it was all good. And I started to see the life come back into his eyes. I said, listen, they didn't have a dance battle because if they had a dance battle, you would have won that. We all know that, right? And I told him a few things we knew he was good at. And, and I said, but I had him look at me in the eye. Isaiah looked me in the eyes. And I said, the thing you need to understand is no matter what competition you win or lose, that does not change your value with God and me. It doesn't change. And I walked away from that situation not thinking, man, good job, K. Hart. You're the best dad in the world. Thank God. Thank God he quit crying. And so, you know, <laughs> but I walked away from that and I realized something. I never had that conversation with my dad. And what I love about it is the fact is that my family's past does not determine my family's future. And maybe you're here today and you're the same way. And I'm telling you today, it does not determine your family's future. You can be the father that God wants you to be. You can be the mother that God wants you to be. Maybe you didn't have the greatest mother in the world. You can be the greatest mother in the world. And it starts with us, and it starts with the love of God. And God has given us every tool, every element, and everything we need is written in that word to help us be that, parents. And, and kids, maybe your dad wasn't the greatest kid. Maybe he lit the house on fire and flooded it a few times, but you don't have to be that kid, okay? You know, all right? We flooded our parents' house at least two times <laughs> as kids. God has given us the tools to make sure our past does not determine our family's future. And we can be different. We can love people the way Jesus loved. We can forgive, and we can be forgiven. And the last essential to our family's health, number three, is this. Respect. Respect. Turn to your neighbor and say respect. Matthew 7, 12 says it like this. It says, here is a simple rule of thumb. Guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. 
Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. It's the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated, right? It doesn't just apply at public school. It also applies at home. If you're homeschooled, consider this your school lesson for today. (laughs) The golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. Give respect to get it. Don't get it first and then give it. Always give it first. And never forgive. Don't take it away. Just because somebody does something wrong doesn't mean you have to take your respect for them away. It just means you have to forgive them for being human because they're going to screw up. They're going to make messes. Now, you don't, have to, you don't have to live your life exactly like them. They don't have to be that role model for you, but you can respect someone and not have to be like them, right? I respect Aaron Rodgers, but he'll never be as good as me. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Come on, people. <laughs> I can respect people and not necessarily live my life exactly like them, but I want to give respect first and treat others the way you want to be treated. And this definitely applies to our family. Definitely applies to our family, right? I may want homemade apple pies every day of the week, so I should just make homemade apple pies for my wife every day of the week, and then maybe I'll get it in return, right? Think that would work? Probably not. (laughs) All right. But we want to treat others the way that we want to be treated. We should never think that others owe us this or owe us that. And we don't owe them anything except to love them and respect them and forgive them. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, we, when it comes to our families, we uh, I've always had this great example. Pastor Paul, our senior pastor, has had this great example. And he talks about it when we, we go through our wedding class. And it talks about love. And love is like a bank account. How many of you in here have bank accounts, right? We all, pretty much all of us have bank accounts. How many of you here have checkbook? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody writes checks anymore. I get made fun of all the time for writing checks, but I still write checks. I'm old school. Anyway, we, ha- we all have bank accounts in our marriages and in our families. And when we don't respect someone, we don't, we're not depositing into the bank account. I don't know if you know this, but basic financial instruction is to deposit more into your bank account every week than you withdraw. That'll keep a healthy bank account. It'll keep you from paying some fees. It'll just make your life a little bit better. It's the same way in our families and our marriages. We must deposit more into the people in our lives' love accounts than we ever withdraw. Now we're gonna have seasons where maybe we have the ability and and the resources and it just happens where we can deposit nonstop. We're never withdrawing, we're just loving on them, right? You know, honeymoon phase, you're just loving on each other. Get that baby up, because you're about to withdraw when you get home with each other, just so you know. (laughs) We're gonna have moments when we deposit a lot of love, and then we're gonna have moments where maybe our significant other withdraws quite a bit. But the good news is is they have a reserve because they've respected us, because they've forgiven us, and because they love us like Jesus does. We have to put more into the bank account than we withdraw. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. The good news is is that God gave us one healthy trust fund in his son, Jesus. He gave us a really big deposit. And it can carry us through the rest of our lives if we would learn to share that love. Share that love with our families, with our significant others, with our kids, with, with all of those we have influence. Extended family, stepsons, stepdaughters, it doesn't matter. Adopted makes no difference. Maybe they're just a foster kid living in your home. You be their family. You be that safe place. You deposit into their bank account all of the love that Jesus has deposited into yours. 
Because if we can do that, if we can get that right, if we can put our family first, we can change our world. Maybe we don't change who's sitting in the seat of the White House, but we can change our world. We can fill our quiver full of arrows that aren't bent and crooked and weighted, you know, messed up feathering. Because I don't know if you bow hunt, but I bow hunt and I shoot a traditional bow. And your, your bow and your arrow both have to be in phenomenal condition. It doesn't work to shoot a bent arrow, a splintered or slivered or, or messed up feathering or broken tips. They're not going to do what you ask them to do. And it's the same way. We can't raise up broken families expecting them to do anything and to make any difference in the world. But if we would take our time and we would look down those arrows and we would make sure that they're straight and we would put the love and care in to mend the feathers when they get ruffled, to forgive when it needs to be forgiven, to sharpen those tips so that when they get to their destination, they've got all the power they need to cut and to do the things that they need to do. If we, as the church, as family, as parents, as sons and daughters would do our part that when we leave that home when we're launched from that bow we fly as true and as straight as we have been taught to do over all of the years we will influence the world around us and as that bible verse says our enemies the devil and sin will be wiped off of our doorstep as just a leaf in the fall breeze because we put in the time to love each other because we put in the time to forgive each other, because we put in the time to respect each other, even when they didn't deserve it. And I want to challenge us this morning, church, as you go into this Christmas season, the season of seeing the people you haven't wanted to see all year, <laughs> that you would find a way to love them like Jesus loves them, to forgive them for anything they've done wrong and anything they're about to do wrong, and that you would respect every moment you're with them and care about them. Talk to them about their situation in their life. And we would do the work and we would mend those arrows in our life. And we could see God do amazing things. Will you stand with me this morning? You know, we talked at the beginning of this message this morning, what makes a great family? And we brought up some of the examples that we've seen in our life and through media and TV, you know, exist. But there's a simple principle, and I've shared it before, but I remember it from my driver's ed teacher, and, and it was a, a great principle for driving a car, and I think it applies for a lot of other things in our life. He said, you'll go where you look, right? You know, me, I gawk, so I'm all over the road. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's a big buck over there. Anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you'll go where you look. It's the same way in our families and in our lives and our walk with Jesus. We're going to head towards the things we focus on. And so that's why the very first principle of all of this is to love Jesus. And I said before, we have examples of what great families are. Find a great family around you. Maybe they're here in this church. Talk to them. How are you guys doing what you're doing? You know, we have lots of, lots of families in our church who have raised amazing kids. And I love sitting down with their parents and talking to them. And I don't, I don't ask specific questions. I just listen to some of the stories. Our senior pastor, Pastor Paul, is one of them. He's raised four beautiful kids who all love and serve God, and he's got grandkids and, and all of that, and he's done a phenomenal job. He has done well. He has a quiver full. So I want to learn how to make arrows from him. I don't want to learn how to make arrows from the guy who's got a busted pile all sticking in all different directions. I want to learn from the one who's done it well. So we, will, we go where we look. 
So find something good to focus on. Look to Jesus. I said it before, but families are the cornerstone to our society. Strengthen the family and you strengthen society. We are a church here at Faith Christian Church that cares for families and we believe God wants all of us to be a part of a great family. But more importantly this morning, God wants you a part of his family. And like I said in the beginning, you can't give away something you don't have. So we're gonna pray here in just a moment, but maybe you're here with us today and and you've either accepted Jesus into your heart before or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him, but God wants you in his family. I said before, your family's past does not have to determine your family's future. And the greatest way you can do that is live in God's family and follow his example because then we have a good thing to look to. And so we want to be a part of God's family. We want all of you to be a part of God's family so that you too can raise your family in the way that they should go. And the last thing I want to say this morning is maybe your family wasn't so good. No, it doesn't have to be that way. That you do belong to God's family and your past does not determine your future. Will you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords. God, I thank you that you are our Father in heaven, that you have created all of creation from the very beginning of of humanity to now, God, that you have created and formed each and every one of us. You tell us, Lord Jesus, in your word, that our story was written long before we ever were. And it was written by you, our Father. And so, Lord, today I ask that if we are not a part of your family, that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive your forgiveness, that we would receive your love, that we would receive your respect today, Lord Jesus, and we would enter into your family. So if that's you here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're saying, that's me, Pastor Ken, I wanna be in God's family, or I want to, I need to get back in God's family. Maybe you're the prodigal son or daughter and you've walked away and you wanna receive God's love, you wanna be received into the Father's arms again. If that's you here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, as you raise your hand this morning, we wanna pray with you and help you be received back into God's family. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, for all of the rest of us here, God, I ask that we would raise our families up in the way that they should go. Lord, as we look through this entire month at the health of our families, at the strength and putting our families first, I ask God that our past would not determine our future, that we would learn what it means to be the greatest parents and sons and daughters and and every element of the family that we could ever possibly be that we would love, that we would forgive and we would respect one another more than we ever have before. And that this holiday season would be a holiday season where pain is pulled out of our families, where brokenness is made whole, God, and where where unforgiveness is found with forgiveness, Lord Jesus. And we would learn to love each other the way that you have loved us, extravagantly, without caution, and without reserve. We ask for it today name. We ask for blessing upon all of our families here at this church and each and every person here in this place. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're so glad you're here with us. Go have a great week and we will see you next Sunday.